Let's pray together. Jesus, uh, protect these ladies on the front row. Uh, you, uh, you're good to us. You've, you've given us your word. It's got life to it. And uh, it's a pleasure and an honor to be able to teach it. And uh, then you, you've done something cool with us. You've, you've, made, you've made us a little body here in Red Bank, and you've given us this great opportunity to serve our community, and we've become a family. It's, uh, it's an honor to be a part of that as well. So thank you for all you do. It's, it's, thank you for the fun that we have together. I, I get to see it in a variety of places, sometimes just on a Sunday morning, but uh, sometimes over to high school. I get to see folks uh, in a small group in my basement hanging out late in the night on on Monday night, you, you're just doing some good stuff among us, and we're, we're thankful. Last week, we got to witness 10 of our, our friends, uh, before everybody, uh, be baptized and make a statement that they're, they're yours, which was, uh, was a joy to, to see. So we, uh, we, we're thankful for all the work you do, you're doing in us, and we want more. We pray you give us favor now as we, we go forward. Open your word now to us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So uh, last night at the Reeves house, we watched a movie before I've told you about. It's called Ip Man. If you haven't seen it, you got to see it. I.P. Man. It's, it's the best ever. Uh, I do have five sons, so it's just a little bit of a warning. There is some physical contact in this movie. Um, a little bit of blood, but not, not too bad. Cheryl survived this time. But it was a, uh, it's this, I think what I love about the movie is the guy's just got, he's super high character and he can fight. I, I, mean, I like both of those things. And he's, he's a good family man. And, and yet he's kind of, he's not a big guy. He's just, he's been disciplined his whole life. And, and somehow out of that discipline, he actually inspires his people in, in some really rough times in their nation. He's gracious. He's humble. He's not self-promoting. Um, but at the end, he's bad to the bone. I ain't gonna lie to you. You gotta wait till the end of the movie. Anyway, um, so I, I got to hang out with a guy a few weeks ago at a restaurant. His name was Stephen Joseph. He's an Indian guy. And if I brought him in here, uh, he would not wow you. He, he's uh, well, maybe a little bit younger than me, uh, and he's well-spoken, but he wouldn't wow you in, in front. He, he wouldn't throw a big show on. But I'll tell you what he's doing. He is killing it in India. And to hear the guy talk about what he's doing with his family and the way they're reproducing the good news that's inside of him. As I watched Ip Man last night, I just kept on thinking of Stephen Joseph. Stephen Joseph is a guy who, who uh, brings 12 single guys into his church every year, and they train them, and they send them out as church planners. That's what they do. They don't have nothing. They don't have any money. But, but for him, it's so important that his people hear about Jesus, that they sacrifice everything they got to get the good news out. He brings in, this is what I loved about it too, was he brings in these other pastors from all around. They come in and he trains them um, and, and, and they spend like a Tuesday night. They spend all day together. They study the Bible together. He sends them back out because people need to hear the good news about Jesus in India. And in both of those groups, he does not make it easy. Like sometimes I think in the United States, we make everything easy or try to make it easy, easy to understand. It doesn't make it easy. These folks sacrifice to be there. A lot of those folks work a job and then come so they can take the good news to their neighbors because they're overwhelmed with the good news. One of my favorite things he did was he brings these kids in. They live in his house. So his wife, ladies, maybe she's the superhero of this deal, but a bunch of kids live in their house 
Because in one region of India, I'm going to simplify it, and we'll just call them terrorists, which is not exactly what they are, but they can't get into those regions to share the good news about Jesus. So his strategy is to get their kids to come to his school. He lets them come to his school for free, and then he teaches them about Jesus and, and, and academically, and then sends them back as children, as missionaries in reality, as kids who just speak the good news about Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. Now, watching that movie last night, I, I, I kind of wanted to get me a, uh, uh, he's got these sticks that he fights with in the house, and he eventually does this right here. I really won't be able to do this, whatever that is. He's always super relaxed. I, I, I love this guy. But, but Stephen Joseph, in reality, is, is the guy we want to be like. It's a guy who's fully committed his life to Jesus. And in the disciplines, we can't see it. And he, he wouldn't be like, I think in America, we, we almost need a movie creation to exemplify what a man who really follows after Jesus with all his heart looks like. Fad to the bone. Here's what was coolest part about it. And I hope you understand this because it's your job. Regardless what you do for a living, however you live, if you know Jesus, your job, like Stephen Joseph, is to take the good news that's been given to you and give it to somebody else and teach them how to give it to somebody else. That's all he's doing. This guy seems to be super gifted, Stephen Joseph, and he's able to do that in big quantities. But that is just the way the Bible reads. Like, it just seems common sense that if you hung out and knew God, that you would want your friends to know God, and that you would, you would because of your knowledge of him is so intimate, you got to give it away, and you give it away in such a way that they'd have to give it away. And over the course of time, in a little town like Red Bank, lots of people would hear about Jesus because we have time with him. So I'm reading to you a story today that if you grew up in church, you heard. I, I can, not all these stories do I think people have heard. If you didn't, it'll be new. But all four Gospels capture this story. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a miracle. All of them, John only catches a few miracles. This one, all the Gospels write down. And, and I'm just going to read it to you and we'll see what he has to say. After this, Jesus crossed over the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. It was Sea of Galilee is what all the Jewish folks would call it. And you know how sometimes... Some other, the Romans, there's, there's a town on the other side, it's called Tiberias, and so they call it the Sea, the sea of Tiberias, who cares, when that's the fact. Verse 2, a huge crowd kept following Jesus wherever he went because they saw the miraculous signs as he had healed the sick. So, so you understand what's happening, Jesus' popularity is it's just getting larger and larger. If you put the Gospels together, you'll see that he sent guys out in twos, he sent 72 guys out in twos, and they went to different places, and they shared the good news about Jesus, and they did miracles. So everybody around is talking about Jesus. It'd be like a grassroots movement with one of these politicians that runs around. He's going to say, he said, I'm going to do a grassroots, and he's going to try to get all these people to sign up to vote. That's what's happened. Jesus sent folks out in a grassroots level to share the good news, and now whenever G there's a Jesus sighting, everybody crowds to him. So what's interesting is Jesus is trying to get a little time to be quiet and get alone. It says uh, he went into the hills. He climbed a hill, and he sat down with his disciples around him. He's just got the 12. He's investing in the 12 so they can take the good news and take it out. So he's putting time into these 12 guys. Does that have value to you? Like, does it have value to you to stop running fast and slow down and talk about Jesus. I mean, like at supper, for example. Got any value in your family? Or maybe a weekend. Got any value to y'all? 
Man, my dad used to take us to a uh, Lookout Mountain, Tennessee. I mean, it was awesome. They got Rock City, they got Ruby Falls, and there's all kind of cool stuff. But the reason he took me there, because there was, a, there was a college up on the hill, and they rented their college, and they would bring Bible teachers in. <laughs> and so we as a family, every summer, went to Skyland Bible Conference, because up in the sky, and we listened to a preacher in the morning and a preacher at night. Sometimes as a kid, that didn't make a whole lot of sense. My dad took a lot of money, I mean, for us, and paid for us all to go, and he and mom went. They took a week of vacation, and they spent it at that conference, all of us learning about Jesus. You know, looking back, I'm like, pretty cool. Like, that was priority in the Reeves family, that this following Jesus, and we, we, we take other vacations, but every summer we were going to do that. They loved that. I mean, eventually they made friends there. They had a blast. We had a blast. But looking back on I see a father who's trying to set aside, like, his best time, his prime time, his vacation time, his vacation money, because he thought this book was true. Like, he thought this was the most important thing that ever happened. And he wanted us to get it. I, I probably can't remember a single thing some of the preachers said at that thing. Some of the preachers weren't very good, quite honestly. But, but I can't remember almost a single thing they said. But what I can remember is that my father made this priority, knowing the good news about Jesus. And so for me, as a kid, I had this great blessing as it was set down in my soul. And, and for all of us as fathers, we got to wrestle with that. Jesus is trying to take these 12 guys and drop time in them. So he pulls them aside. He's on the side of the mountain, and uh, he just gives it to them. Verse 4, it says, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So just giving us a little calendar. And Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. So all these people are tracking. I love this. He turns to Philip. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we think it's all mysterious. He turns to Philip. I'm going, why are you picking on Philip? He turned into Philip. He asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? In a minute, we're going to find out it was 5,000 men. And he looks at Philip. He's like, where are we going to find the bread to feed all these guys? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Jesus knows what he's doing. He's still picking on Philip. Why Philip? Anybody ever ask that question? Why Philip? Why is he picking on our boy Philip? Because Philip lives right down the road in Bethesda. So, like, it's not complicated. It's not like this great scheme to call out Philip. If, if you were here and, and, and you're from Pillion and we're all down in Pillion and we need something to eat and you're from Pillion, guess who I'm going to ask where the nearest Walmart is? Well, you're going to tell me you got to go by the Red Bank. But anyway, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I want to know, do you got any catering companies down here? And, and we're going to find some food. Who are you going to ask? You're going to ask the person that lives the closest. So he's just asking Philip, hey, how are we going to get some food out here? And yet, the scripture says, he's testing him. I love that because I feel like he tests me. Anybody else feel that way? Feel like Jesus tests you? Here's the deal. When somebody's training you, they're going to test you. The only way you can ever get what they got is to be tested. I think sometimes when we think about a quiet time, which let me just say, if you've never, never took the discipline to have a quiet time, uh, be a great time to start. As a boy, I would go to the bathroom because it was quiet there. And I'd take my Bible, I mean, boy being in, in, in middle school, and I'd take a little notebook, and I'd sit on the floor. So don't judge me for my germs. I don't care about germs. I won't tell you where I sat in the bathroom. It was tile floor. I don't know if it's clean or not. But anyway, I sat there, and uh, I would read a little bit, and then I would write the date, and I would write a couple notes about what I felt like the Lord was saying to me. Simple as that. 
That was my quiet time. And, and uh, I'm going to be straight with you. Sometimes it was just discipline. Like it was like doing push-ups. And sometimes it was utter joy, even as a boy. And those times, like I, I wouldn't give anything for those times. And I'm thankful. If you, hey, if you're 12 in the room, here we go. It's your opportunity. But if you're 48, same drill. You don't have to sit on the bathroom. I don't know if I can sit on the bathroom floor anymore if I wanted to. But, but, but there's this same thing of being with Jesus is this great gift. But there's this expectation. I want you to get it straight that if you spend a lot of time with Jesus, he's eventually going to test you. Because if you're hanging out with the God of the universe all the time, he don't want to forget you. He don't want you to forget who you're with. It ain't just about us having communion and feeling good about Jesus and him feeling good about me. It is that. It's all of that. But then eventually he wants to know when things get difficult, do you recognize who you're with and what you're going to do? And Philip does exactly what I, I, I don't know Philip very well because there's not much written, but I love me some Philip because he goes like Dave Ramsey, like right out the gate. And he, he's trying to figure out financially how we're going to do this. See, there's 5,000 people. If, if we, we took them up to uh, uh, get some barbecue, be $10 a head. That's, that's $50,000, Jesus. How are we going to do that? And look at them kids. And those kids have to eat too. And they're wild. I mean, we talk about 100,000. How are we going to do that? We can't do that. You feel like a little freak zone moment where Jesus is asking for more than Philip can deliver. Well, I don't know the truth about this, but I love it that Philip did the math. Now, some of us are just addicted to the math, and when the math doesn't work out, we check out. But I kind of like it that Philip looked in his checkbook and just <laughs> looked at the balance up. Some of y'all don't even know what that is, do you? I mean, he looked on his online account and... Uh, <laughs> On his iPhone, and uh, it turned out like that. But and and and, <laughs> and he saw there wasn't there wasn't fifty thousand dollars in there, and so he he couldn't pay for it. He said it would take me eight months' wages, two hundred denarii, which back in the day, denarii basically is a day's work, and it pretty much covered your own family's food. Well, there ain't no way we could do. It. And Jesus and Philip's working it through, and then you got your boy Andrew, and for some of y'all that are a little bit more on the clown side, I think that might be what Andrew's doing here. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother spoke up, and I can imagine him. He kind of reached out in the crowd, and there's a little boy. Looks like the kid from the Jungle Book, probably. Anybody seen Jungle Book yet? What's that kid's name? Mowgli. All right, Mowgli. All right, so he reached out, Mowgli. He got Mowgli on his hip. Mowgli's got his little lunch pail, and it's got, it's got five loaves of barley, barley loaves. That's like the cheapest bread. That's what Cheryl buys at Dollar General. It's the cheapest bread. A dollar each, and he's out there, and he's got two little fish, and, and Andrew's, this, because you got to remember, this is a story. This really happened. So there's 11 guys around, and he's slapping them, and he's got Mo- Mowgli. He's got Mowgli on his hip. I'm like, watch this, watch this, watch this. I'm going to take Mowgli over to Jesus. He's got this little pail. I'm going to say, here's what we got. Let's feed him. Just smart enough, but the problem is he's pulling a joke on the Son of God. And you can imagine just them having some fun with it because this thing isn't like stale when you read it. It's just not stale. Jesus, matter of fact, seems to be very good at laughing and really enjoys the guys that he's discipling and spending time with. And so he brings him these, uh, these five loaves and two fish. And, and, and Andrew goes, well, what good are these for the crowd? And Jesus looks out and he says, tell everyone to sit down. This, this is... Uh, it's cool because Jesus, as you read in verse 6, he already knows what he's about to do. He says, tell everybody to sit down. And you could fast forward in John to chapter 10 where Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And you could picture it. It actually is going to say, Jesus said, all of them sit down on the grassy slopes. 
you can picture the shepherd out there, and he puts them in groups of 50s and 100s, and they're spread out over all these grassy slopes. For those of y'all that care, I mean, it's cool that he said it's just about the Sabbath. That means it's the spring, which is the only time the grass is green in Israel because it's, it's kind of when the summer hits there, it's kind of like here. It doesn't rain much, and the grass all turns brown. So they're all sitting out in the green grassy slopes just like a good shepherd would. And the men alone were numbered 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, and he gave thanks to God and distributed them to the people. And afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now gather up the leftovers that nothing is wasted. I love this part. And so they picked up pieces and filled 12 baskets and scrapped the scraps left by the people who had eaten them, had eaten from the five barley loaves. So how, what? So we had five barley loaves and two fish, and Jesus just fed 5,000 guys minimum until they were full, which means they went to Sheely's. These people leaving like hurt. Like it's hard to walk home. They just ate all they could eat. Out of, how did he do it? You ever ask that question? How did he do it? Like, did, was it, did he break the bread like, really fast? Like, is it like the movies when the hands are going like, <laughs> did he break the fish? I'm trying to figure out how you break a fish fast. Be slipping your hands on oh, man, It's the son of God, so it's not a problem. But there's, there's the, in a very short amount of time, he fed 5,000 people. I don't know if you're weird like me. I'm wondering where the baskets came from. Like, you have a bunch of ladies, one of them basket sales going on out there. I don't, but maybe he broke the basket. And, and then made another basket. I don't know how he did it, but eventually he fed 5,000 people. And as you read it in the scriptures, it's all, in all four accounts, the people are abuzz like this is off the chain miracle. This isn't one of those miracles where he's healing somebody sick, which you maybe could come up with some other way that they got well. This is when he made something out of nothing. Right? He's showing that he's the creator. All of a sudden, he's breaking all the rules of physics. You can't do this. But he's making enough bread to feed all these people. And guess who's watching? Twelve guys. They're on this trip with him. And and they watch him make all this bread for these folks. They watch them eat. And what does he do with them? He does this with me. I don't know if he does this with you. He says, hey, take one of those baskets. I want you to go out there and pick up all the leftovers. You notice there was twelve baskets? That mean anything to you? Like, if you're a theologian, you get all excited because there's all these 12s in the Bible. Maybe it's the 12 tribes of Israel, and you'd be like, ooh, this is good. We don't have weird people like that here. Anyway, um, <laughs> but to me, like, it's really, really just not that complex. How many disciples were there? 12. There's 12 baskets. Really? Okay, so each guy had one basket. Oh, yeah, yeah, each guy had one basket, and they filled their basket. So they all had the touch the supernatural bread that was left over so that they eat. They could take it home to their families. For one, they get to take it home and feed their families with it, but they had to touch it. They witnessed it. Why? Because he's training them because he wanted us to hear the good news. He wanted you to know that Jesus was the bread of life, and each one of his disciples got to touch it, feel it, and carry it. It's cool. But let me tell you something. These people saw this miracle and they are coming unglued. You know why? Anybody remember a story? All right, you got to be under 20 for this answer. Anybody remember a story in the Bible or something? Can't be one of my kids. Under, the, uh, under, under 20, anybody remember a story in the Bible where somebody else fed some people with bread? Miraculously. Anybody want to shout it out? I mean, shout it like with full confidence. I didn't hear it unless somebody else heard it. Moses, right? 
Moses in the Old Testament, he's, his people are in the wilderness, they're starving. And, and what, what does God do? He, he provides manna from heaven through his leader, Moses. And these folks are Moses' fans. They know everything Moses ever did. And Jesus is feeding them with bread. And they're like, this is the one. This is, anybody remember another guy? All right, so we can go all the way to like 75. Uh, we can go all the way to infinity. Um, uh, is there another passage in the Old Testament where somebody fed somebody with some bread miraculously? I like that strong statement. Mr. Dick back there, you can't let him be in a competition. He wins every time. But anyway, uh, that's exactly right. Elijah, Elijah fed 100 guys with just a few loaves of bread. And you have to read, I said, 1 Kings. But so the people, they, they love them some Moses. And, and, and Elijah is right there beside him. And they're going, this is the prophet we've all been waiting for. This is the one who's come to lead us out of the situation where, look at him, he's making bread out of nothing. Like our great leaders, Moses and Elijah, the prophets here, he's going to be the king. It's on, they're excited, and it actually says, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet that we've been expecting. And when Jesus saw that they were ready to force them to be their king, check it out. He slipped away into the hills by himself. What? Why, why did he do that? Because he had to be the lamb before he was going to be the lion, right? I mean, he's the lion of Judah. He's going to reign as king. He's going to be our king. He is our king. But first, he needed to be the lamb. He needed to make a way for us to access him and, and his father. And that's, we remember that every Sunday. As of late, we've set it up front just so folks can walk up and, and take it. And so you can witness folks come up and take the bread and, and it's broken like Jesus' body, and you can drink it out of the cup like his blood was poured on the cross because he was the lamb of God. He had to be that first, and so he's not going to allow them to make him king because he's got work to do. He's staying on mission. He takes this very public miracle, and in some senses, he wows the crowd and feeds them, and later we'll see he appeals to one of their deepest needs. But who's he really teaching? These 12 guys. I'm sure there's some other folks that learned. Maybe that little boy with the pail. But these 12 guys, they're watching and they're touching and they're feeling. They're being transformed by what Jesus does on the daily ground. And that is how he wants to lead you. What could we learn from this public lesson? If, if he was giving us a private, uh, private tutoring beside one of the things that I love that Jesus does he meets physical needs first so don't go down to brunches and leave them a piece of paper with a verse on it right because then I'm gonna go eat over there and they're gonna say them Christians I'm gonna hear them mumbling all they ever do they hand out this this thing they call it the good news but they don't they don't take care of my physical needs now if you want to put a hundred down and put a verse on that I bet they'll memorize that verse for a hundred all right <laughs> But there's this connection, and Jesus gets it. We are, we're physical beings. He created us, and, and a lot of times the first place we go is what we need physically. And so one of the ways to reach people is to deal with their physical needs first, to, to, to serve what they need first. We had a great moment, and uh, the folks at Saluda asked me about it the other day. There's a radius Saluda, and they're just they're killing it. They're doing a great job. They meet on Sunday nights. They meet in a barn. I love it. It reminds us of the old days when we used to have this wall up. There's 60, 65 folks there, about half black and half white, which is really cool in and of itself. But uh, Ross called me the other day, and he just said, I heard y'all gave away a car over there at White Note, like back in the day. I'm like, we gave away a lot of cars. What you talking about? Give us credit. <laughs> no, but it was this one car. It was 
it was very soon after I got here, there was this a lady that had a need, and we heard about it. And I came in this room, and I go, I know this lady. Her car just blew up, and it would be cool if we did something about it. And so we set up the bucket, according to Rodney, back in the back, and, and y'all put $2,200 in it. And so I was like, wow, we're going to be able to get, do more than I thought we could. And then one of our folks, one of our folks said, I got a car that we want to give away. So we all went down to brunches and we ate lunch. Some of y'all might have been there that day. And they walked this, this young waitress out and uh, gave her the keys and the title to the car. I mean, it was, it don't get no better than that. It was awesome. It was awesome. But we met her physical need. And we, we did what we could. Now, now, I wonder what would have happened if Philip had had 50 grand in the, in, in the bank. Was he supposed to write a check and buy for the, I don't know. I don't know. But there, Jesus was constantly meeting physical needs in order to speak into folks spiritually. And that is a calling card for this church. If you haven't been here long, these folks are really generous. And we got a crazy wine barrel back there. They put money in. Uh, but we're able to give a ton of that away because of how we operate. One of the things that we're proud of, I think the Lord's cool with that. Over 30% of everything that goes in there, we find somebody to distribute it to. And that's been all kind of crazy things that have come up through the years. But, but there's this expectation that the followers of Jesus, they're looking for needs to meet. Jesus often met the physical ones first, and then he addressed the spiritual. You know, I, I, I wrote in my notes, if you can pay for it, do. Like when you see something that you can take care of, do when I review mine and Cheryl's story, like big markers, you know, if you were to put your uh, your family life in a photo binder back in the day, that's what we did. We got like binders on shelves. I know y'all don't know what those are, but we got like photos in them. And, and if you were to go back through and the places we stop and celebrate are these key moments. A lot of them are moments where we gave some stuff away. It was some moments where the two of us rallied, put our heads together and there was pain and we, we wrestled with the pain and then we made this gift to somebody we love or to something that we believed in. And uh, we go back through there and we, we, we look at those few moments and we're like, man, that was like one of the best moments of our life. So if you don't have one, put it on your radar. Like, Start looking for an opportunity to bless somebody with what you got. For some of y'all, you, you just discipline. You're, you're incredibly disciplined. You give right here, and then you're able to take a piece of that 30% that we pass on. And I just want you to enjoy the, the reality of how generous we're able to be as a church. But I want you to catch what the story's really about. The story's not about what we can do. The story's about what we can't do. So what about when the need is so great that we can't touch it? That's what Philip's saying. I can't touch it. I couldn't plan for a year to pay for that. There's no way I can cover the need to feed all these people. Well, then we come back to this guy that we hang out with, right, in your quiet time in the morning. The guy that I sit across from, that, that I read what he has to say, and I speak to him, and we speak back and forth. And what he wants us to realize is that he can handle the need. So there's going to become a point right here at Radius White Knoll where there's going to be some stuff we want to do that we can't do. It's going to come this day when we feel like we're called to do something that's going to be beyond us. And we've just done some crazy things. We just sent a percentage of our people over to West Columbia. We've just done some, some, some crazy things, sent some of our best people over to West Columbia. But we could do that. We could do that hurt, but we did it. It was sacrificial. It was, it was beautiful. We'll be a part of our story forever. But someday he'll ask us for more, and then what are we going to do? Hopefully, 
We'll slow down. We'll remember who we sit with in the morning and his greatness, and we'll go to him. For some of you, that's coming this year. There's going to be a moment this year that you cannot hold up under. And you won't be able to go to a pastor and have a pastor say the perfect words to fix it. You won't be able to go to to one of your friends and have them soothe your soul with words. You're going to need somebody that has more power than one of us. And the question is going to be, will you know where to find him? Because he's, he's right there. He's accessible. He wants to know you and give to you, but you're going to need him. And I, I'm straight with you. If you don't know Jesus, it's like one of the best things I have to offer here today is the opportunity to go to the fourth dimension instead of only being able to answer stuff in three dimensions. When things come completely off the tracks, I got a place to go. I go speak to the Lord, and there's peace there. Some of y'all got that going on right now, and you could give testimony. I got a couple minutes. Let me read one more. That evening, Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell, Jesus still hadn't come back. They got into the boat, and they headed across the lake toward Capernaum. And soon a gale, which is common on the Sea of Galilee, gale swept down upon them. The sea grew very rough. And they rode three or four miles, which is about halfway across, when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water. This is a crazy story. So they just fed 5,000 people. Jesus went up into the hills. I can imagine Peter down by the lake like, we ain't waiting for him no longer. i always waiting on him. I know he's the son of God, but we're getting to the other side. He can get there on his own. So they get in the boat. They start. You ever been out on the water and, and, and trying to row somewhere? No, all y'all got motors on your boats. But anyway, they, like trying to row somewhere, and when the wind's working against you, you might as well turn around and go back. And the boys are out there. They're struggling like crazy, trying to get across the river. You've you been there. You've been there in life. The water gets rough, and you just keep digging and rowing and rowing, and it's so frustrating. You're so fr- mad. I can imagine the banter they're having at this point on the rowboat because somebody hit them when they were following through on the row, and it's on. you got 12 guys in the boat. It's got to be crazy. And here comes Jesus, it says, walking on the water, <laughs> which, by the way, if you're a Christian and you believe this book's true, you like, like you believe that, <laughs> which is odd. Uh, it says they had rowed three or four miles, and then it says that Jesus walking on the water toward the boat, and they were terrified. I understand, right? I really want to see this on replay. Like, which was the first disciple that saw Jesus walking on the water? Which was the first one saw him coming? Like, lots of people get nervous when you cuss around a pastor. But I can imagine on replay, this guy might have let a word slip when he saw Jesus come. Like, <laughs> bleep, and, and, and the other boys. And, and Jesus gets to the boat, and they finally rec- recognizes him, and they welcome him in, which is this beautiful picture. But the, you got to imagine, it is like, hysterical the boys are leaning on each other laughing because however andrew responded to jesus walking on water and and jesus laughing at them remember this this is a real leader who loved his disciples and was great at laughing you can imagine them on this boat just having this moment of kind of utter joy that you're following this guy who can walk on water and you you know when you come off of something that scares the stew out of you that stuff's way funnier when you realize you're not going to die it's just this this uh wonderful moment where these guys enjoy each other jesus has a classic line in there and i think he says it to us and he calms us with it uh he says don't be afraid some translators actually say i am which is a powerful biblical statement. And NLT says, I'm here. Relax, relax, it's me. 
It's me. <laughs> Don't freak out. And, and then the laughter ensues and there's this joy. I love this because there's like a third miracle, verse 21. I don't know if you ever caught this, but then, then they were eager to let him in the boat. He gets in the boat and it says immediately they arrived at the other side. So I wondered, did that joker levitate and land on shore, you know, or did it like bump into the shore? Did he put make it go really? But immediately Jesus solves the three-mile problem. He gets into the boat and they're there. Sometimes, does it ever seem like that to you? Like life is so rocky and I'm completely distressed. I cannot hold on any long. And finally I see Jesus and I recognize who he is. And when he comes close, then I'm just there. Sometimes it's like that and sometimes it is not. It seems like he'll never come. It seems like I've been rowing forever. So a couple questions for you. If you're extremely frustrated. Are you looking for him? Is he there and you're not noticing? Is he a ghost? Is he something that you're afraid of and you don't really want to let him in the boat? Like, do you not really want him in here? You'd rather row your tail off for the rest of your life and struggle and struggle rather than have him come in this boat? Because ain't no telling what's going to happen if he comes in this boat. If he comes in this boat, then... Everything's got to change. Now, in this moment, it's, it's pretty cool. It changes fast. They're on the shore in two seconds, which is, is pretty cool. But in, in not too much longer, all 11 of these guys, what are they going to do? They're going to die other than John. 11 of these guys, 10 of these guys are going to die because they knew this man. So some of us just rather struggle. Like we're addicted to the struggle. We like to stay up at night with our spouse and Say how hard it is, right? That's kind of who we are. We're going to post it, <laughs> how hard it is. Um, having walked with people that know Jesus for a long time, there's nothing like letting him in the boat. Stuff changes when he comes in the boat. Not always to perfection, and there's not always pure joy, and there's not always a new car sitting out in front of my house. But there is peace. You see, these guys, man, they're walking with Jesus in a world that has lost its mind, right? Religious guy, the religious folks in Judea, they have lost their mind. A couple chapters ago, we saw a guy um, get persecuted because he was carrying a mat on the Sabbath. They've lost their mind. The scriptures don't even mean anything to them anymore. They've made up their own rules, and their nation is off the chain. I'm reading a book uh, about missionaries in China. I mean, people in China. And uh, you talk about losing their mind, a nation that won't allow you to have more than one child and, and, and force you to abort a child if, if you have already had one. It, you, you talk about some crazy stuff. They, they put folks in jail for three years just like on a common trend. Like that's just what, if you know Jesus, that's what happens. China's lost its mind, and yet the church there is wide awake and flourishing because the believers there... They do time with Jesus, and they seem to want to allow him in the boat and actually even appreciate the struggle because the potential is in the deep struggle he might show up. We might get to see something off the chain. I don't know about you, but I, I feel like I'm living in a nation that has lost its mind, right? My daughter goes to the bathroom over here. I might have to do a little Ip Man on somebody if they, if they, they show up. Like it, it don't even make sense. You're like, how do we even get here? How do we come up with all this stuff? It's lost its mind. And you know what the believers are doing in our nation? They're ranting and raving. We look like a bunch of little weak punks. 
It's like we don't have an answer. All we can do is talk. First Thessalonians got this pretty cool verse. Uh, Brian Kirkland, a friend of mine over in Lexington, brought it up to me the other day. It just reminded me of something that I believe so deeply. First, chapter 1, verse 5. But when we brought the good news, Paul's writing to a church, it was not only with words, but it was also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you uh, from, from the way we lived when we were with you. Did you catch that? But when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but it was also with power. It would be interesting if the church in the United States would be able to say the words of Jesus because they spent so much time with him, but then live out the power that he offers in the Holy Spirit. Perhaps, man, perhaps our government is, who knows what's going to happen, but it sure ain't showing the church down in China. Matter of fact, they're accelerating. Hadn't changed a thing. As a matter of fact, they would say that they, they don't really even know if you're a great follower of Jesus until you've been locked up for three years. But their, their nation's losing its mind, but it hadn't discouraged them because all the hopes in this guy, like, like when you really believe this, all the hope is not in a flag, really. It's in this guy. It's in the Son of God who came to save the people. This way before our nation ever even existed. Not that there's not a right place to speak. Don't, don't get carried away with what I'm saying. I'm just saying, if you're not spending time with Jesus and if there's no power to your life, please be quiet. Don't rant and rave. You really don't have any authority. It's embarrassing. It's a guy named Watchman Nee. He's a, a great Chinese leader. I love this. Uh, Stephen Joseph at the beginning from India. Watchman Nee from China. Like two different groups of people that probably a lot of y'all don't, don't know very well. They're both brothers of ours. Watchman Nee's your brother if you know Jesus. Uh, Stephen Joseph's your brother if you know Jesus. And, and they are sons of the Father just like you are. And, and, and th these are like big brothers that you respect. Watchman Nee, he knew the Bible really well. So the Europeans came over in, in, in the, I think it was 1800s, and they sent all their missionaries, and the missionaries knew the Bible well, and they were so overwhelmed with this guy named Watchman Nee that they wanted to bring him back to Europe because he knew the Bible so well. So they brought him back, and back in the day you couldn't fly. You actually had to ride a boat. And so he, they sailed him all the way back around to Europe, and he went to all their churches, and they preached, and everybody was just enamored with the guy who is, uh, who is Asian and has learned English, and he can teach the Bible, and they just thought, this is great. We've taken the good news about Jesus to uh, China. We've done our job. And so in some ways, pat their back and like slap him on the back and say, what a great preacher. And toward the end of his deal, he got all the leaders together, and he goes, Man, I really enjoy being here in Europe. You, you, your people really know the word of God. I was so impressed. But I hadn't seen any miracles. I ain't seen a single miracle. So do you guys really believe this? Like I've never seen anything here that has any power to it. It was this, this uh, simple I was reading and I'm going, whoa. That hits a little closer to home than I really wanted it to. Like not, not, not that uh, on the way out I'm going to have some bread on top of your car waiting for you, right? Cause I... But there's got to be this authority that comes from being with Jesus that our community feels. And sometimes we go in our checkbook and we just pay for something because we're generous. And sometimes people come to us because we have a resource that nobody else has got. 
perhaps God someday will do something completely beyond us. I've seen that happen a couple times. Uh, If I read this, it really shouldn't surprise me, should it? Let's pray together. Appreciate this group of people, Lord. I'm thankful to be a part of it. You know us. Some of us have been following you a long time. And we want to follow you better and we need help. Sometimes, Lord, we just know your word and we don't, we don't really know its power. We don't know how to use it with power. So help us. We're your followers. Teach us. Pray for some courage for some guys in this room that just need to find a moment to get up and read your word and take a little notebook out and make a note or two and lead their families down that road. Lord, I pray for uh, others in our room that have never met you and they're hearing these stories and they're like, this is craziness. I pray that your spirit would explain them as the truth and that you call out to them and you'd help them believe and transform them. Some of us in the room, Lord, we, uh, you push some button in us. I feel like you do that all the time when I read the word. You push some little thing in me and I need to respond and I'm not always sure exactly how. Uh, so help them, help them process that. Lord, we as a group, you've heard us. We've been praying for our little community and we want to be uh, in this white no area, Lord. We want to be a light for you. So we pray you give us favor along that line. You know, we're, all of us, we struggle to follow you. But in the process of the struggle, we pray that you would show people the work that you've done in our heart. And then set others free. Give some of us the courage to get the words off of our lips. Uh, Help us down this road, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.